this morning to share with you the, the good news of our passage. Uh, but I will tell you that it is a bit of a difficult passage. It's a little bit challenging. And, and I think in part it's because uh, when Paul starts talking about Jesus, he gets all excited. <laughs> and it's as if he, can, he has trouble putting complete sentences together. And so he starts listing these key phrases that describe Christ from all these different angles so that we don't miss what he has to say it really is an amazing passage and really central to the letter as a whole but but i think to understand what paul has to say in these few verses we need to uh, appreciate them from the context of what he has written so far you'll remember paul began his letter by giving thanks to god for what he learned about the colossian church from his friend epaphras he was He praised them, this church, for their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. Paul is encouraged to see the evidence of the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. And yet, he knows that there is so much more in store. So, he continues on by praying for them. And he prays that they would be filled up with the knowledge of his will. That they would experience the fullness of what God has provided to them through their faith in Jesus Christ. He prays that they would be guided by the Holy Spirit in order to know God's truth and to understand with all spiritual wisdom and understanding how to apply those truths to their life. He wants them to grow in the knowledge of God as they walk in the good works that He's prepared beforehand so their, their, their lives can can bear fruit that glorify Him. Learning to live in the contentment that comes as we put our faith and trust in Him. And then he says at the end of his prayer, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's Paul's prayer. And if you're here this morning and you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the inheritance that Paul speaks of in his prayer, that that same inheritance belongs to you as well. But even as I say that, I I think we should stop and and ask ourselves, okay, what exactly did, did I do to deserve an inheritance? And even more, what all does that inheritance include? You see, an inheritance is usually a gift given by somebody, a gift of great worth, usually after they've died, to somebody that they have designated as their heir. And so, if God has given you an inheritance, don't you want to know what it is? What does that include? Unfortunately, I don't think we often stop to ask that question, do we? And therefore, I don't know that we really ever fully appreciate the significance of the magnitude of the gift that has been given to us in Christ. It reminds me of a a story of a man back in the 1800s who who died and and gave a $50,000 inheritance to a gentleman who had worked for him all of his life, very faithfully. Now, $50,000 may not sound like a lot of money to to you and I, but if we equate that to the day's economy, it would be about a half a million dollars. So that's a lot of money. 
The lawyer who is in charge of this estate goes to this worker who is otherwise a very poor man. And he explains to him that his former boss, who had now passed away, had left him an inheritance of $50,000 and that that money had been set aside in a bank account in this man's name. Well, weeks went by and nothing ever happened in that account. So the banker actually went to this gentleman to once again explain to him and said, I I just want to remind you, you have been given $50,000 and you are free to withdraw from that account at any time. There was a moment of silence and then the poor man finally spoke up and said, do you think I could have 50 cents to buy me some cornmeal? How sad is it that the poor man did not appreciate the significance of what he had been given to the point that it had no impact on his life? I tell you that because I think when we don't appreciate the significance of what we've been given, the same is true for us. See, we have an inheritance that the Bible describes as the riches of the glory of Christ. It says that it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. And not only have we been designated as an heir, get this. Now listen, the Bible says that you are co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. What that means is that everything that belongs to him belongs to you. Can you imagine an inheritance greater than that? So how sad would it be if we, like that poor man in our story, never stopped to appreciate the significance of what we've been given and therefore it would never impact our life? What Paul has to say this morning in our passage should protect us from making that mistake. He goes to great lengths, as you will see, to explain all that rightfully belongs to Christ so that we can fully appreciate the significance of the inheritance that we have in Him by faith. We don't want to miss this. So before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I consider this to be of great significance in the life of your church and the people uh, that will hear this message. And so I ask that uh, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we would understand the riches of the glory that belongs to you. And in so doing, that we would appreciate the significance of the gift that has been given to us, and that it would impact our lives. It would change us. It would transform us as we live out of the inheritance that was made possible through your death on the cross. Make that clear to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 15, where we left off last. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to back up to verse 13, just so you know who he is talking about. He goes in verse 15, he says, For he, the Father, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. He continues on speaking of Christ saying, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Paul begins by saying that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. The, the word he uses here for image is, is the Greek word uh, that is, is acon. It's from what we get our English word, icon. The word describes a, a picture or a representation of someone. In this case, Jesus is the visual representation of the invisible God. Not in form, in terms of what he looks like, but in the essence of his character. The life of Christ images forth the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. We also know what Jesus told his disciples, right? Remember from our study this past summer in the I Am series, he spoke to them and says, when you see me, you see the Father, because I and the Father are one. Jesus is God, and given full rights due to him as the firstborn, Paul says, of all creation. This term firstborn is it is intended to communicate that jesus has the first rank and or or order much like what god says when speaking of uh, the israelites in the book of exodus he turns to moses and he says israel is my son my firstborn now we all know that israel were not the first people born on the earth right there were generations of people that preceded them But what we do know is that Israel was a nation of people that God set apart as holy. They had and still have a special role in God's creative order. And they were not like other nations. In the same way, Jesus is not like other gods. He's not one in a pantheon of gods. He is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that He reigns supreme over all that exists. There is none like Him. He is before all things. He is superior to all things that have been created. Paul says He is the the image of God. He is set apart from all that has been created because, as Paul says next, He created all things. This is an important statement because it protects us from the heresy that Jesus was created by God, like we see in, in other religions that exist today, like Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons. In fact, I had a conversation just this past week with someone who was convinced that Jesus was created by God to be our Savior and that He forgives our sins. But He is not the one true God. 
But it is not possible. Listen to me. It is not possible to hold that view and stay true to Scripture. Especially when you understand that Jesus cannot be a part of creation if He is the one, as this verse clearly says, that created all things. You cannot create yourself. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus has eternally existed. It was He who created everything out of nothing. He reigns supreme over all things because He created all things, including what we can see and what we can't see. Things that are on the earth and and things that are in heaven. Every order of creation was established by Christ as a part of God's divine design. Everything belongs to Christ because everything originated in Him. But not only did it begin with Him, the Scripture tells us that it also ends with Him. And Paul says that all things have been created by Him and for Him. As Jesus proclaims Himself in Revelation, He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Everything He created was designed to bring Him glory from beginning to end. We know what Psalm 19.1 says when it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. You'll remember that announcement that the angels made in Luke's Gospel when they were proclaiming the birth of Jesus and they said, Glory to God in the highest and peace among men with whom He is pleased. Jesus has come that we might have peace and our redemption brings glory to His name. That is our purpose. God makes that clear when when speaking to Isaiah and He says, listen to this, Everyone who is called by My name, God says, I have created for My glory. All things have been created by Him and for Him. But we need to understand that because Jesus is fully God, none of what has been created is intended to add to His glory. Instead, what Paul is saying here is that everything has been created to reveal His glory so that Jesus could be known and praised above all things that have been created. He is supreme. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In other words, God sovereignly controls everything that exists. He is the creator and sustainer of life. Now, in our world today, I know there are times and there are things going on around us where it looks like, doesn't it? It looks like things are spinning out of control. And I bet if you were to go throughout history, there were other people who would look at the circumstances around them and they would think the very same thing. But listen to me. There has never been a time, never been a time in all of history 
where God was not sovereignly in control of everything that is happening in the world. Because if that were not the case, if, if God were to remove his hand of control, you and I would not exist. We see in Scripture that mankind would have long ago destroyed itself. But God, has continued to orchestrate events, including both the good as well as the sinful choices of man, to work together towards a predetermined end. Now, don't ask me how he does that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not God. But this is what I do know. I know that he is the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. That Christ eternally existed before all things. And it was He who brought all things into existence. Everything is, that has been created, He now sustains. And divinely orchestrates towards a predetermined end where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ reigns supreme in all of creation. And His rule is the basis of our inheritance. I want you to think about that. You are the benefactor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I have to trust that when you and I hear that and, and that we kind of try to wrap our minds around it, we, we would agree together. That's amazing. That's incredible news. That's like a call from that banker who says, hey, I just wanted you to know you're the richest person who's ever lived. You have an inexhaustible supply of riches and you can withdraw at any time. You can live off of those riches. So my question to you is, are you experiencing the riches of your inheritance in Christ? Are you experiencing the riches of your inheritance in Christ? In Christ. I think if we were honest, although we might believe that we are a child of kings, of the king of kings, we, we often still live as a pauper, don't we? Instead of experiencing the abundance of God's blessing, we find ourselves struggling just to make it through the day. And so what is it that is inhibiting us from experiencing the fullness of the inheritance of of what the Bible says we have through faith in Christ. What is it? Well, in a word, it's sin. Sin has corrupted all that God has created. And that is, it is the very reason that we long for something more. What Paul says next will describe what God did about that problem. So let's look at that together. Verse 18 goes on to say, He is the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Paul begins by introducing the church and identifying Christ as the head of the body. Here he explains how the supreme ruler 
of all creation condescended to become the author of our salvation. It is the church. It is the church, though saved by faith in Christ, that displays the manifold wisdom of God. Because we demonstrate the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is a mystery that Paul will later explain and talk about that has been hidden for ages, that has now been revealed in us. We are the first fruits of His redemption as new creations in Christ and the beginning of what will take place throughout all of His creative work. That's why what we do corporately is so much more than what we get out of it individually. Because really, this is not about us. Our purpose is to bring glory to God as we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Our worship is the goal of our redemption. Our worship is the goal of our redemption. This was the original design of all creation. And the church is the place where that original purpose has been restored. But only as we look to Christ as the head of the body, depending on Him to give us life and strength, we must recognize that He fully deserves to have first place in everything. Paul goes on to explain how this new creation in the body of Christ was made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says that Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. Now, this is a lot like the statement he made earlier, isn't it? When he said that that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. There he was explaining Christ's supreme rule over all that he created. And now, He is explaining Christ's supreme rule over all that He has recreated. That which He has redeemed. Paul is explaining how a holy God restored His relationship with those who have been corrupted by the presence of sin. I think Paul's letter to the Romans does the best job of helping us understand that. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Paul says here, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
And Paul says that if we become united with Christ in faith, then his victory over sin and death becomes our victory over sin and death. Remember, we are co-heirs with Christ. And so this is one of the ways that we share in the inheritance of what he has accomplished. Earlier in Paul's prayer, he told the Colossian church that he joyously gives thanks to God who qualified them to share in the inheritance because he delivered them from the domain of darkness. And then what he says next, he transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, this is how that happened. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a realm where sin no longer reigns because of what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. And when you are in Christ, united with him in faith, this is the realm in which you now live. You have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And just as sin has no authority over Christ, you have inherited that same victory. And sin no longer has authority over you. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that because I want us to understand that the church is of great significance in the eyes of God. This is great news as it relates to who we are individually, but it is, in my mind, even more important into who we are corporately. You see, the church is a collection of faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And it is the only institution, the only institution on the face of the earth that is no longer corrupted by the enslaving power of of sin. All creation, the Bible tells us, has been subjected to futility. Everything that has life outside of the church continues to be a slave to sin. And it groans, it groans to be set free. You, the church, are the beacon of light that declares the redemption that is found in Christ alone. You are the ones. Our inheritance through our faith in Christ is what all creation longs for. It is what drew us to faith in Christ to begin with. And for those who don't know Him, there is that longing that desires to be set free. And that freedom is in Christ alone. That's why we've been commissioned, as Paul tells the Corinthians, to to be ambassadors for God. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God just as we are. So that they can understand as, as we tell them that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our worship, our testimony as a body of Christ is the goal of our redemption. And it gives God such great pleasure when we respond to Him in faith. 
fulfilling the mission for which we have been created. Paul says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. God was delighted to be personally involved in your redemption. He did not appoint someone to do the job. He did it Himself. God did not create someone to be a Savior, to die on the cross. He did it Himself. All the fullness of God's divine power and His holy attributes became visible in the life of Christ. And they are the means by which His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to reconcile all things to Himself. If that was not God on the cross, our redemption is not possible. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Only the Creator of all things has the power to restore all things by destroying the one thing that deserves God's wrath and judgment. It was Jesus Christ who took that judgment for our sin, making peace with God through the blood of the cross. And notice that that Paul said that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to reconcile all things to Himself. In other words, the whole world is redeemable in view of the cross. No created thing is outside the reach of of God's redemptive hand. He has accomplished all that must be done and His reward becomes our inheritance when we put our faith and trust in Him. That's amazing. And we're going to learn more about that next time. But for now, I want you to understand that all of history hinges on what happened at the cross. Eternally impacting everything that has been created, as well as all that exists in the heavenly realms that we cannot see. The cross of Jesus Christ has a power of cosmic proportions. In the beginning, Jesus was before all things, and in him, all things were created. It was good. It was all good until, as Paul explains, In Romans, until sin entered in the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. And so now all of creation has been enslaved by sin's corruption, including you and I. But Christ's death on the cross changes Everything. He who reigns supreme. He who is before all things and in whom all things are held together. He is the one who has conquered the power of sin and death. He alone has the authority to restore what sin has corrupted. 
Jesus Christ reigns supreme in His church. And we display the manifold wisdom of His redemptive work. And one day, one day the good that He has begun in you will be perfected. And then it will spread to all creation when everything is made new. See, only when we understand what rightly belongs to Christ can we appreciate the significance of our inheritance through our faith and trust in Him. You and I are a child of the King. And so may we never willingly choose to live the life of a pauper. In fact, let me give you, as we finish up this morning, three ways to live out of the riches of who you are in Christ. The first one is to to be rich in worship. Be rich in worship. Remember, our worship is the goal of our redemption. It is the design of all creation. And that goal has been redeemed in the life of the church. And therefore, we need to be a people of praise. And so, may our heart reflect what David said in his psalm when he wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Does that describe you? It should. It's a part of your inheritance. I heard someone say recently that you cannot be in a bad mood and praise God at the same time, right? I've seen some of the look on some of your faces, and I think you need to give that a try. (laughs) But I think that's true, and I do believe that, that God gives us plenty of opportunities throughout every single day of our life to recognize and to give Him praise. Just the other day, in fact, it was last Sunday, I was driving in to uh, prepare for Sunday morning. It was early enough that I drove straight east into what was one of the most beautiful sunrises I have ever seen in my life. I just stopped. And I said, God, thank you. I know the one who created that magnificent beauty. And good morning to you as well. He gives us plenty of opportunities throughout our day to give praise and glory to Him. So let me encourage you every single day to look for ways in which you might give Him praise. It might be in a sunset or a a sunrise. It could be a word of forgiveness or the reminder of a promise of who we are in Him. But whatever it is, make sure you stop and give Him praise. Be rich in worship. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is be rich in love. The Bible says that, listen to this, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now now think about that, because if you think about the love of God, what Scripture tells us is that the love of God is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We can't even appreciate the, the height or the breadth or the depth of God's love. But that is what has been poured out within our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what that tells me is that I could never exhaust the riches of God's love. And therefore, I need to be willing and able to give it away. Think about a philanthropist who has a lot of money, right? And you know that they are constantly on the lookout of of ways that they might give away their wealth to those in need. Well, I want to remind you this morning 
that you are rich in the love that you have through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you need to look for ways to give it away. All throughout your day, there are needs that surround you. People who are hurting. Love them with the love of Christ that has been poured out in your heart. Tell them about the redemption that is found in Him. Cook them a hot meal. Take it to their home for no reason. Or maybe just stop and say a prayer for those that you care for. Give your love away. Be rich in love. Be rich in worship. And then finally, be rich in hope. Although the cross is is the turning point of all history, we still live in a sin-cursed world. I know that many of you have experienced tragedies and difficulties and it's a burden that's difficult to carry. And in that, it's easy to lose hope. And so that's why passages like this morning are so very important. They allow us to to view life outside of our own personal perspective so that we can witness the full scope of Christ's reign. It's important to know that He is before all things and that in Him all things hold together and that in ways that we cannot fully comprehend that He will take all things that have happened and in some way use them to bring glory to His name. He is the God who has the power to redeem and whatever has been broken will one day be made new. He will and is and always has been able to bring beauty from ashes. So let me encourage you with the words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome when he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And here's how. In believing. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be rich in worship. Rich in love. Rich in in hope. These are just a few of the unsearchable riches in Christ. And they have been given to you as an inheritance through your faith and trust in Him. So don't live as a pauper when you are a child of the King. Instead, live out of the riches of who you are in Christ. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, that is our prayer, our hope, and our desire. We realize that we cannot appreciate the significance of our inheritance until we understand what rightly belongs to you, which in a word is everything. You were before all things, and in you all things are held together. You created all things. You reign supreme over all things. And even those things, which includes those of us in this room who have been broken by the presence of sin, you have redeemed by your death and resurrection. And so, Father, may we have faith and trust in you in order to live out of the fullness of who we are in Christ. Rich in worship, giving glory to you. Rich in love, giving away what you have so bountifully given to us. Rich in hope, because we know how this turns out when you redeem those who have faith and trust in you. May that be our hope and our salvation. We pray this in your name. Amen.